Well, good morning. All right, let's try that again. I thought that last song, if nothing else, would have woken you up this morning, but uh, apparently some of you missed the whole message of alive and breathing. Uh, you know, so we are, we are in case you're uh, new, we are a non-denominational church. That means that we are not the Presbyterians who are the frozen chosen. Uh, right, so uh, so in case that you were concerned about that, alive and breathing, one of the cool things about non-denominational is most people don't have expectations because about as far as worship and those kind of things, you know, uh, because, uh, you know, again, they're denominations. And how many of you come from, let's say, a Methodist background? Anybody come from a Methodist background? Okay, all right. So how many of you come from a Baptist background? That would be me. Uh, how many of you come from a uh, Pentecostal background or charismatic background? Got a few of those folks. And then some of you come from even like Catholic background. Okay, all right. And then how many of you come from like the other? Just the one I didn't name, you know. So, and that could be your, you know, the, the way of your own way, maybe. That's how you grew up or whatever. But uh, so, so, you know, we're, we're so thankful because, you know, somebody told me earlier, I, I forgot who said this, but, you know, the thing is, is with non-denominational and all these different backgrounds, and, and we come from all kinds of different traditions, isn't this maybe a little bit more what heaven's going to be like? Right, you know, because ideally, and, you know, I, I know that some people would think, especially, you know, coming from Baptists, I can say that some people would think that, you know, uh, everybody's going to be like the Baptists when we get there, you know, or, or whatever, but, but the reality is, is that we are a part of the body of Christ. If you claim the name Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you live for Him who died for you, then guess what? That means that, that God has come, He has saved you, and you have a place in heaven in all eternity with your brothers and sisters who have that same claim. It doesn't matter if you're Baptist or Methodist or Presbyterian or, or Lutheran or whatever, Catholic, it doesn't make any difference. If you give your life to Jesus Christ, you've made him Lord of your life, then we all have that promise. We all have that same place, that same spot in heaven for all eternity. Isn't that good news? That's exciting to me. So, uh, you know, maybe we're, we just get a little taste uh, from all the different backgrounds that all come together for one purpose here today, and that's to worship and to proclaim the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, today we're going to start a new series called The Cost of Discipleship. And um, now we've got, uh, if, you, if you remember, for those of you who were here last week, Steve Anderson, oh, he and his wife Linda have been coming. They're actually away on an anniversary trip celebrating 40 years of marriage, so excited for them. Uh, but, but Steve gave a little announcement, and, and he came to me a few weeks back, and, and he said he'd like to help out. And, and he had done this class before called Intentional Discipleship. And I know a few of you expressed interest. Um, this, this was planned before, really, you know, that. So these don't necessarily go together. But I think it's good for us to begin to think about discipleship and what that means. And so especially then leading into this uh, class that Steve is going to be teaching. And um, again, if you're interested, let me know or you can let him know if you see him. Uh, should be back again next week. And it may even be back here this Wednesday for our Wednesday night Bible study time. So uh, you can always let him know if you're interested. Now, uh, I believe that the plan is on October the 23rd, they're going to have this informational meeting, I think with the plan then to get underway first of September, and it'll go for about three months. 
Uh, and, but what he will determine once the group is together, I think then the meeting time or the date and time that we will be meeting here, but the day and time that we'll be meeting. He wants to make it easy for everyone and uh, get the most people involved. So I do hope that uh, you know, maybe some things today as you think about what it means to be a disciple of Christ, that you know, maybe today message or the next couple of weeks might spur you on to say, you know what, I want to jump in and take that class. Know that that, that is there and is available for you. And uh, we hope that several will take advantage of that. I think it's going to be exciting. I think it's an exciting time for us as a congregation. We're going to take a look at just a moment from Mark chapter 10. We'll be looking today at verses 17 through 31. You know, as we think about God's grace, understand that God's grace is something that he offers to us freely. He opens it up. Anyone who would come to him and seek him receives God's grace. Now, I want to talk for a minute. How many of you have actually uh, been to experience the walk to Emmaus, a spiritual reformation type of uh, weekend thing? Several of you have been through that. Uh, during the weekend, you actually will hear about the three different aspects of God's grace. And um, now these aren't necessarily, the first one in particular isn't necessarily uh, found in Scripture, but the idea is there, this aspect of God's grace. And the first thing is that God's grace is prevenient. In other words, God is seeking you before you ever even look for Him. God is calling after you. He's seeking you. Prevenient comes from the Latin, and it just means to come before. So in other words, God's grace is coming before you ever even acknowledged him, ever even recognized a need for him. God is seeking you. And, and then there's this second aspect of grace known as, as justifying grace. And we find this idea of being justified in Scripture. And, and this is where Paul actually talks about being justified. The moment that you understand, the moment that you receive Jesus, the moment that you have that, that come to Jesus meeting, that's when you understand your justified. You're justified through God's grace. And uh, one of the really cool things that uh, helps us remember about justifying aspect of grace is that when we receive God's grace and, and God comes upon us and we accept Jesus Christ as our personal Savior, what happens is the sins of our life, everything that we've done that has been outside the will of God, God's direction for us, it becomes just as if, justified, just as if we'd not sinned. So that's God's justifying grace. And then there's another aspect of it, and that is the sanctifying grace. God gives us grace through sanctification, and, and sanctification just simply means being set apart. And, that, and the idea is that we are set apart because when we are called to Jesus Christ, we should continually strive to be better. Let me ask you this. Is anybody at the top of their game? Well, I'm not raising my hand to say that I am. I'm just setting the example should you choose, okay? Uh, I, is anybody at the top of their game? See, the thing is, is that um, I was a pretty good student in school, and I, and I made mostly A's and B's, but, you know, occasionally there would be that when I really didn't feel like trying. Occasionally it might be that C or whatever. And, and so when I would bring my report card to my parents, my dad would always look at me and say, did you do your best? And my mindset was, well, unless I had across the board straight A pluses, pluses, or whatever it was that was the very best, then, then no, I could have probably done a little bit more. 
You know, and I think the same is true for us for kind of our own report card as followers of Jesus Christ. First of all, if you've given your life to Jesus Christ, what are you doing to be sanctified, to continue to be set apart? And there's this idea of grace where the discipleship, this act of discipleship kicks in. You see, part of us being set apart, part of us continuing to grow, part of us seeking to be better, to be more Christ-like, to be Christ followers and better Christ followers is this act of discipleship. Uh, It's something that we all need to be about. Um, And the thing about it is, is even though God's grace is free, there is a cost to discipleship. And that's what we want to talk about today and for the next couple of weeks. There are certain expectations, you know, whenever we we go someplace, there are certain expectations. You know, if you go to a restaurant, there are expectations that that they're they're going to have the food that you order. And there are expectations that if it's a sit-down restaurant, that they're going to bring it out to you in a timely fashion. And when they get it, it, it's going to be correct. You know, how many of you have played that guessing game when you go through the drive-thru and they hand you that bag and you're like, Okay, is it going to be right today or not? You know, maybe, maybe you got a bonus and you got a few extra fries, or maybe you got some onion rings mixed in with your French fries. That's always cool, right? Um, uh, but, but how many of you walk away or you pull away because you're, you're in a hurry, and then you get there and you're like, wait, they, they shorted me a, a sandwich here or whatever. You know, that's probably happened to us all. But there are certain expectations. And, and we, as followers of Jesus Christ, there are expectations for us. Um, now, I think sometimes we put those expectations then back on what we expect God to do for us. But the reality is, is we're followers of Christ. He's not followers of us. You know, so sometimes we put those expectations back. I've, I found this, um, these are, this, uh, this it was a website, I guess, and it had these responses. These are actual responses on comment cards from given to staff members in a wilderness recreation area. Now understand that term, wilderness recreation area. And these are actual comments that people made and took time to write down on cards and hand to a staff member. Trails need to be reconstructed. Please avoid building trails that go uphill. This is a wilderness recreation area, okay? Here's another one. Too many bugs, spiders, and spider webs. Please spray the area to get rid of these pests. Please pave the trails. Chairlifts need to be in some places so we can get to wonderful views without having to hike to them. Hmm. The coyotes made too much noise last night and kept me awake. Please get rid of these annoying animals. Okay. A small deer came into my camp last night and stole my jar of pickles. Is there a way I can get reimbursed? Please call. Escalators would help on steep uphill sections. A McDonald's would be nice at the trailhead. Too many rocks in the mountains. (laughs) These are real comments, people. I didn't make this stuff up. You know, people apparently don't seem to understand what it means to be in a wilderness area. Kind of the point of a wilderness recreation area is you experience nature, right? 
But yet, from these comments, it seems as if people are looking for something that is convenient and comfortable. Many claim today to be disciples of Christ, but the reality is they're a lot like these people who wrote these comment cards. They're looking for something that is convenient and comfortable. They don't understand that in uh, being a disciple of Christ, that, that being a true disciple of in Christ involves something deeper. It involves cost. Today we're going to take a look at this passage, and, and in this passage we discover a man who was looking for something, but he didn't understand what it meant to be a true disciple of Christ. Let's take a look. Mark chapter 10, picking up with verse 17. And it says this, And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all of these I have kept since my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful because he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and he said to his disciples, How difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said to them again, Children, how difficult is it to enter the kingdom of God? For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished. And Jesus said to him, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Peter began to say to him, See, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands, with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. Won't you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this word to us today. And this reminder that being a true disciple of Christ, to be a true Christ follower, requires sacrifice on our part. Father, I pray this morning that, that our hearts and minds will turn to you, and we will each seek according to the Spirit today, that as your Spirit moves among us, Father, we just pray that, that you will help us to see the areas in our lives that, that we need some work on, that we need a little sanctification in. Father, we just pray that you will give us the strength to be what you've called us to be. And Father, I pray this morning, today will be that kickoff point for those of us who have been struggling. And Father, it's in Jesus' name we pray it. Amen. Well, know that this price that we're talking about, this cost of discipleship, the price is high. Now, this man here in Mark chapter 10, he was obviously very wealthy. 
He was young. He was powerful. He had his life ahead of him, but he was in pretty good shape when it came to his finances. He was in pretty good shape when it came to his education. And so he, he felt like he had everything that he needed. But then Jesus comes along. This guy comes along, and, and the, Jesus is offering something, and this man wants to know, wait a second, I've got everything, but I'm not so sure about this thing that Jesus is talking about, this eternal life. This is something new, and, and I need that. I need to add that to my collection. So maybe he came seeking what money and power could not get him. But this was a guy that was used to getting what he wanted. So he approaches Jesus in this very public setting. There are people watching and there are people that are listening. There are crowds everywhere because people had been following Jesus. You know, Jesus had been doing some miracles and a lot of people were coming out. You know, there was no cable TV, right? So a lot of people were just coming out for the entertainment. Who is this guy and what's he going to do next? When Jesus began teaching some of the hard stuff, many of the crowds began to fall away. But know that Jesus wasn't chasing the crowds. He wasn't there to entertain. And Jesus was glad that these folks were gathered around because what they wanted to see, again, you know, there for the miracles. Are you going to feed the thousands again? Are you going to cast out some demons? Are you going to raise someone from the dead? Oh, my goodness. Jesus wanted to see who was there just playing a game, who was there just for the entertainment, and who was actually seeking to be a true Christ follower. You know, the world today needs Christ. Amen? We, we need to see, all we've got to do is turn on the TV. All you've got to do is take a look at some of the, the internet news sites that are out there. And when we read these stories, I don't know about you, but with all the craziness that we're experiencing and everything that we're seeing, riots and hatred and all of the things that, that we've been dealing with in, in enraged amounts here these last few months, I keep coming back to the same thing. They just need Jesus. They just need Jesus. Don't you think we all need a little more Jesus? And what that means is that we who claim to be Christ followers need to make sure that we're doing our very best to be true disciples of Christ. That we're seeking to be truly authentic followers of Jesus Christ because all the world needs to see Jesus today. You know, so when we come to Christ, here's the thing. When we come to Christ, we don't come perfect, do we? A friend of mine, I worked in radio years and years ago and was talking to him about church and he had some church experience but he's like ah you know he had a lot of questions when he found out that i'd been a pastor and and was headed to seminary and all this kind of stuff and he said you know he goes i i he goes, i believe in i believe there's a god he goes, and, and i and i know that that's good for me i know but you know i come from a pretty messed up background he goes and so you know i'm thinking that once i get things right then i'll start going to church once I get things right in my life, then I'll start seeking God. But see, the problem is, that's not how God wants it. God wants us to come to Him broken. So when we, most of us, come to Christ, we're pretty messed up and broken already, right? And so that's what Jesus wants, because what happens is that Jesus takes this hot mess that we bring to Him, and He makes us beautiful, and He makes us wonderful, not because of anything that we did, but because of what Jesus did. You see, Jesus died and he gave his life 
And then he rose again so that we might be forgiven, so that we might be saved, and that we might have a promise of eternity with God forever and ever. Amen. But we don't got to get ourselves all together before we go seek Christ. God wants us to bring our messed up, broken, screwed up lives and, and make us beautiful because he is beautiful. So Jesus was trying to teach this man something. And Jesus gives him the, this list, you know. He kind of goes through the list of the Ten Commandments here. You know, keep the commandments. And he's like, yeah, 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 I already do all that. But, but you know, give me the goods. Give me what you got because I'm here for something. And what I need is what you've got, right? Because I don't have that. And, and apparently I can't buy that. And that's what this man was after. So think about that for a moment. You know, we think about the Ten Commandments, and that's just the beginning, the very basics when we talk about God's law. And think about that for a moment. And we could say, we can look at the Ten Commandments. How many of us can say that we've kept the Ten Commandments? Just, just going there without all the other hundreds of laws. How many of us can say that we've kept the Ten Commandments our whole life? You know, I would imagine that just you know, honoring our mother and father that you know, if you're an adult, that meant you were a kid once upon a time. And, and my guess is, as a kid, and maybe even as an adult, you aren't very, always very honoring to your mother or father. You say, well, I've never, I've never stolen anything. Well, have you not stolen anything? You ever, you ever taken a pen from work, taken it home, said, I like this pen, I think I'm going to take it home, put it on my desk at home. Did it belong to you? Did it belong to work? Have you ever gone to work, punched in, and then gone to your desk, and then ordered some stuff from Amazon? You just stole time from your employer. See, there are little things that we can do that we don't think about, but the reality is it may be even breaking one of the Ten Commandments. So when we say, oh, well, yeah, I'm, I'm good with that one, are we really? We need to go back and, and truly examine ourselves. You know, what this man was saying, he says, look, I'm not a bad person. You know, I haven't really done anything wrong. And there are a lot of people today that we know that are good people, that really, as a, as a whole, in general, they're really good people, and they really haven't done much wrong. And I think that man was one of those people. This young man, he, 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 did, he lived a good life. He felt like he lived a good life and said, I really haven't done anything wrong. He said, but you know, I'm just here to get what you've got. Give me this secret to eternal life so that I can go on with my life. We want it. We want it fast. We want it now. Anybody remember, this is again showing my age because I'm just getting to be an old dude. But uh, anybody remember this, this Russian comedian named Yakov Smirnov? You know, his, his whole shtick that he talked about was coming from Russia into the United States. And he's like, oh, what a country. What a country you have here. And, and, he's, and he's talking about, in one of his, his routines, he, he was talking about how surprised he was, how fast everything was when he got to this country. He, he goes, we've got instant everything. And he said, you know, I go to the, I go to the store and I see the, you know, this and that. And, and uh, he, he said, you've got uh, powdered milk for instant milk. He goes, and you've got powdered orange juice for instant orange juice, and then you've got baby powder. What a country. <laughs> Everything now. But you see, it's not that easy. 
It's not that easy. You know, and I think even in our culture today, we get this idea that we want it, we want it now. How many of you have gone through the drive-thru at the fast food place? Fast food, right? And, and they get it out there pretty quick, but it's still not fast enough for you. And what about your computer? How many of you log on and that YouTube video that you just had to see is just not streaming fast enough? How many of you remember dial-up? <laughs> How many of you remember when there was no internet, you know? And we went to, and you talk about information, we go to the library and we get out a dictionary and we go to the, you know, the card files. Anybody even know what a card file is these days, you know? So, but, but it's right there, it's at our fingertips, and yet sometimes it's still not fast enough because our Wi-Fi is glitchy or, you know, the... Yeah, there, there's some bitstream problem. I don't know. But I'm just saying sometimes the, the what's so fast now still isn't fast enough. We want it fast. We want it quick. We want it easy. So the question for, for I have for you this morning is, when it comes to the cost of discipleship, do we really get it? Do we really understand what it means to be a disciple of Christ. Kind of put yourself in the place of this man, this, this rich young man who came seeking something, but what he was seeking really wasn't what Jesus was offering. You want what Jesus has? What would you do? If you're in his place, you would probably have sought him out. But the question would have been, did you really listen to what he had to say? Did you absorb what he had to say and really understand it? See, we, you know, we can be hard on this man and we can think, well, he was foolish. He had Jesus right there in front of him and he didn't hear him. He didn't listen. He didn't get it. See, we may have a knowledge of what we're talking about. We may have a knowledge of discipleship. We may understand it cognitively. And all that means is we have a head knowledge. We, we understand what's supposed to happen up here. And the same way, when we read the Scripture, we can understand, and maybe we can go through the linear context of how things are flowing and how one story moves into the next and, and what was going on in this place and this place and this place. And we can follow the, the linear contextualization of the Scripture and how it flows one thing to the next to the next. But those are just events, and we may understand all that, but do you know what God was trying to do here and what, we're, what God is trying to teach us from His Word? You see, there's a big difference between knowing and truly knowing. Uh, a difference between being knowledgeable of godly things and being a true disciple. It's the difference between head knowledge and heart knowledge, and sometimes the difference is the distance from here to here. Because we can understand it, but do we understand it? Do we get it? And the thing about it is that difference, that Somebody said 18 inches or 16, whatever the difference is from here to here. That 18 inches may keep us from eternity with our Heavenly Father. That may keep us from heaven because we know and we understand what's supposed to happen, but do we really get it? The cost of discipleship means that we get it. God paid the price for our salvation and we pay the price to be called 
His disciples. What does that mean? What do you need to give up to be His loving disciple and the way that you were called to be? What Jesus wants, what God wants to be followers of Jesus Christ, to be true disciples of Jesus Christ. What is the cost for us? Everything. You see, to be his disciple, we need to be giving it up for his love. That means we need to give up everything. That means that we sacrifice ourselves. We need to put ourselves aside, our, our physical self, our personal thoughts, all of the things that we want, all of that. We take that, we wrap it up, and we set it aside. Do you know how hard that is to do today? Because we live in a society that is self-centric, egocentric. It's all about the us. You know, and there tends to be shifts in generations. And it seems like we become more and more that way. We've got to put ourselves aside. Mercy me. Anybody know the Christian group, Mercy Me? Just a rocking Christian group, and, and they've got some stuff that's, that's very introspective, you know, makes you think. Uh, for instance, one of their biggest hits, their first big hit, was not so rocking, but it's a real piano piece called I Can Only Imagine. Anybody know that one? Interestingly enough, that actually appeared in the secular top 40. Billboard's you know, top 40 hits, I Can Only Imagine, made its way up the charts. So even if you weren't listening to a Christian station, you could still turn on the secular radio and, and hear I Can Only Imagine. That's pretty cool, right? But they've had some other great hits and, and some pretty rocking stuff. And it's just I really, I really like that group. One of my favorite Christian groups is out there. But they've got a song that it wasn't as big a uh, Christian hit for them, but it's called So Long Self. Anybody know that one? It's So Long Self. And basically, uh, in, the, in the lyrics it says, you know, it's been fun, but I finally found somebody else. In other words, self, guess what? I'm kicking you aside, and now I'm going to put on Jesus. It doesn't change the way that we look. It doesn't change our physical appearance, but what it does, it changes us from the inside out. When we set ourselves aside and that we determine that, that our own self-centered measures, our own self-centered thoughts and desires, our own self-centered wants, guess what? They don't matter to a hill of beans when it comes to eternity. What matters is that we have Jesus Christ in our hearts, that we live for Jesus. We have that heart knowledge of Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior. And know that we don't get there without Jesus Christ. Because on our own, we can do nothing. We've got to have Jesus. So, the cost of discipleship, everything. Put ourself aside. Our selfish desires, our selfish wants, and focus on Jesus. In Luke 9, 23, it says this, And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. See, that's about putting to death ourself, our, our selfishness, our selfish wants, our selfish desires. And it's hard. It's really difficult. You know, and it's not a one-time thing. It's not, okay, God, today it's Sunday. I'm going to church. I'm going to put myself aside and I'm going to get myself up out of bed on a day I don't have to go to work and on a day that I could normally sleep in, but I'm going to get up and I'm going to go off to church. I'm going to get up and, and, and I'm going to 
pray and I'm going to get my mind right. And, and it's all about you today, Jesus. It's all about you. And that's great. And then the day goes great. And then Monday comes and it's back to work or back to school or back to the other way. And guess what? Suddenly we start picking up our own sorrowed, selfish desires again. And then now those selfish desires begin to guide us for the rest of the week until Saturday night comes. You're like, oh man, I am so tired because I've been running like crazy all week doing all the crazy things I want to do. But I'm going to have to set my alarm if I want to get up and go back and give Sunday to Jesus. It's easy to fall into that trap and live that way. And it might sound a little bit ridiculous, but here's the thing. Being a disciple of Christ means setting self aside 24-7. That means it's a way of life. It's not just a one-day-a-week thing. It's not something that we put on. It becomes a way of life. Why? Because Christ is infused into us. The Holy Spirit, when we accept Jesus Christ, comes to dwell within us. That means as followers of Jesus Christ, we have part of the God, godliness, that has been infused into us. And that means that we seek to live according to the Holy Spirit. That's how we live out our life according to Jesus Christ. To be a Christ follower means to submit to the will of God through the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's a daily choice because it is way too easy to pick up the old self and say, you know what? This was kind of fun. I think I'm going to go back over here. And I think I'm going to do things my way again. But that's not true discipleship. You see, Jesus wants you. Anybody remember? I've got a graphic coming up here. I think anybody remember the old U.S. Army, you know, posters with Uncle Sam? There we go. That guy, you know, the U.S. Army wants you, you know. Well, it's kind of like Uncle Sam, but Jesus wants you. He wants to recruit you. He wants to get you. You know, the armed services, if you, if you enlisted with Uncle Sam and you went off to, to join the military, it becomes a way. How many military folks we got in here? I know there's a few around. Think about those days when you enlisted and you went off. You ate, slept, drank, breathed, lived everything. U.S. Army, U.S. Navy, U.S. Air Force. I'm not sure about the Coast Guard, but, but anyway, you know, if you were in one of those armed forces, you, you, that's what you did. Now, even the Coast Guard, too. You know, you, you learned, you lived everything. They drilled that into you because they want you to be able to respond at a moment's notice. They want to make it instinct within you because it could be on the battlefield. It could be a matter of life and death. In a, in a hostile situation, it could be a matter of life and death, to how you respond. And if you kicked aside your training and said, oh, wait, let me think about this a moment. It may be too late. But you know, that's what it is with becoming a part of God's army, of accepting the call. It's not just a job, right? Jesus wants to get up close and personal with you. He wants to be uh, so a part of who you are, that when people see you, they can't help but see Jesus in you. Colossians 3.2 says, Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. You see, we've got to think for the next step. We've got to think for the future. I'm, I'm kind of like that. I, 
I think I've told you before, I've been accused of not being in the moment because my brain is always in gear moving on to the next thing. Anybody else think that way? Anybody else admit to thinking that way? Anybody else's spouse want to smack you in the face for thinking that way? I mean, not physically, you know, just a mental, come on, get it together. Um, It's, you know, we got to be in the moment. Jesus wants us to be in the moment, to set our minds on things that are of him, of heaven, that are godly things. You know, it's easy to be an admirer from a distance to look at someone and go, oh, you know what, they're, they're such a hard worker. Wow, look, look at how they work. Look, look at the way that, that they do what they do. How, how do they even do that? And we step off from the side and admire them from a distance. But if we want to be like them, then we're going to have to jump in with both feet and start doing the same kind of things that they're doing. You know, the, the Christ's followers need to be the same way. It's not about just sitting back and admiring what Christ did from a distance. It's about jumping in and doing the kinds of things that Christ did, about ministering, about loving. You see, as Christ followers, what happens, it turns our lives upside down. We become emerged in the Christ culture, if you will. Again, showing my age, anybody remember a band that came to prominence in the 60s, a band called the Grateful Dead. How many, of you, how many of you never, ever thought in your life you would hear a Grateful Dead reference in a sermon on Sunday morning? But the reason I mentioned the Grateful Dead is because the Grateful Dead were, were known as a jam band, and, and people would go to their concerts, and they just they loved going. And what happened is that there was this group of followers that began to follow the Grateful Dead around, and they're called Deadheads. They even had a name for themselves. And, they, and basically, they wouldn't miss a concert. They would go everywhere for a concert. They'd dress the part, you know, and, and, and they would go. And it was like one big community of, of Grateful Dead followers. And that became a way of life for them. You know, and of course in the name Deadheads, it referenced a part of the, the name of the band that they were immersed in. Well, you know, if we call ourselves Christians, we've got to ask ourselves, do we live up to the name? Because Christians signifies that Christ is a part of us. You know, and we are to be Christ followers. We are to be true disciples of Christ. What is it that keeps us from living that life? What keeps us from surrendering ourselves to Him? Sometimes it's fear. But you know what? Fear is a liar. You know why? Because perfect love, according to John 4, 18, perfect love casts out fear. And where do we get perfect love? Anybody? From Christ, from Jesus, from God. That perfect love comes to us. You know, Jesus talks in this passage, as he goes on, he, he talks about family. Now, he's not saying that family is a bad thing. You know, he talks about brothers and fathers and sisters and mothers. And, but family's not a bad thing. But what he is saying is that we've got to get our priorities right. He says, you may have to leave your family behind. You know, that, that seems to us, that seems like a crazy idea. But suppose that you grew up in a family that was not a Christian family. Suppose you grew up in a family that had another world religion belief, such as, say, Buddhism or Islam. What if you grew up in a Muslim family and you 
came to know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, guess what? You're going to be leaving your family behind because if you don't leave them, they're leaving you. They're going to kick you out. But what's more important? Jesus is saying, this relationship with me, this following me is more important. As much as you love your family, following me is of greater importance. Because Jesus says that when you follow me, you're going to receive even more. Now, we're not talking about the health and wealth gospel that's, you know, this prosperity gospel that, that's out there. You know, some years ago, Time Magazine actually did an article, uh, and it says, Does God want you to be rich? And 31% of those polled who claim to be Christians agreed that if you give your money to God, He will bless you with more money. This idea is nothing new. It's been around a while. Rick Warren, the the pastor of Saddleback Church in California, author of uh, many different books like Purpose Driven Life was actually a book that that came out and and made the bestseller list many years ago. And, And Rick Warren, he said, you know, there's a Greek word for that idea, baloney. <laughs> that same idea has been echoed by a lot of uh, evangelical and mainline pastors. He's, you know, if you give to God, will you be blessed? Absolutely. But that doesn't necessarily mean monetarily. You see, because first of all, when it comes to money, God owns it all anyway. We just get to use it for a little while. He owns it anyway. We're going to be blessed, but it may have absolutely nothing to do with money or or monetary means. Jesus promises that you may have to leave your family behind, but if you do, what's going to happen is you're going to gain a larger family than you can even imagine because you'll become a part of the family of God. You'll become a part of a faith family. This idea of the cost of discipleship, well, it starts with recognizing that you have to give your all. To give all of you. So discipleship... It has a high price, but guess what? Jesus already paid for our salvation with his life. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. That old hymn that we've sung, if you grew up in church before, uh, we give up our lives so that his is honored. So that people don't see us, they see Jesus. It's a difficult concept because of the world we live in. We want to live in the world, which is hard to live in, and not get caught up in worldly trappings, right? But we've got to learn to rise above it. We've got to take God's love to heart literally. Why? Because Jesus wants us, and He wants us to surrender to Him today. Are you willing to do that today? Are you willing to put everything aside so that Christ's kingdom increases? You know, the Apostle Paul wrote that I must decrease so that Christ increases. You see, the more of us there is, the less room there is for Christ. The less of us, the more of the room there is for Christ to be exalted, for Christ to be seen, for Christ to be in us. Are you ready to pay the cost of discipleship so that people see Jesus in you? Because we already determined the world definitely needs more Jesus right now. Amen? Why don't you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word to us today, this reminder that we need more of you. We need more of Jesus. Father, I'm so thankful that, that as a whole, we are, you have blessed us as a congregation. And as a whole, I see so many people within our congregation who are authentic and who are 
real. Yes, we come and we're messed up and we've got problems and we've got issues, but you know what? The greater thing is that Jesus is seen in us. I'm thankful for so many. Father, I pray that this morning as we talked about this cost of discipleship, that, that every one of us that's here today is ready to walk out the door laying down ourselves so that you might be increased. And Father, I just pray this morning that, that we will have changed lives because of our encounter with you. So, Father, this morning, move your spirit across this place. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.